0: We welcome all you that have joined us, you that are here in the church, people who will get this podcast this week, we're in Job chapter 8, we're going to open up with prayer and then we'll dig around here in Job, we've got some good stuff I think that will come out tonight. Uh, Father, we thank you for this day you've given us, we thank you for your long suffering, we thank you for your forgiveness, we thank you for your healing, we thank you for your love, we thank you for your word, we Thank you for everything that's come from you, Lord. Every good and perfect gift has come from you, and we just give you praise for that. We ask you to be with us tonight as we study. Help us to be more like you when we leave, because we've been exposed to your word. Help us not to seek credit. Help us to always give you the glory for anything good that happens in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So another guy's going to step up to the plate. Eliphaz... uh, Eliphaz, the uh, Temanite, spoke, and then Job stepped in and started speaking. Now we got a new guy, one of his friends, Bildad, in uh, Job chapter 8. That's where we're at. It says, Then Bildad the Shuhite uh, answered and said, How long will you speak these things? Now he's directing it toward Job. And words of your mouth be like a strong wind. Does God subvert judgment? Or does the Almighty pervert justice? Now listen. He took a stab at him here. If your sons have sinned against him, he has cast them away for their transgression. Now, when you read, when we go through this book, you've got to remember, nobody really knows what's going on behind the scenes at this time. So... They're all assuming a bunch of stuff. And some of the statements they make, a lot of them are true. They're just general statements. But they're not true about this situation. He says, if you would earnestly seek God and make your supplication to the Almighty, if you, would, if you were pure and upright, see, he's gouging at him. Uh, Job, he, he's gouging at Job. Surely now he would awake for you and prosper your rightful dwelling place. Though your beginning was small, your latter end would increase abundantly, and that actually does happen. Now, I just want you to try and put yourself in Bill Dad's shoes or Eliphaz, these guys that have come here to hang out with their friend, and just at just kind of thinking, what would you be thinking? If the best guy in the land, the most what appeared to be the most closest to god all of a sudden has lost everything if you went over there now they sit there for seven days uh and who knows how long it took them to make their journey to get there but they're there and they're they're trying to use their brains probably and trying to figure out how in the world has this happened to job he must not be the guy we thought he was Now, would you have a thought like that? Possibly. I mean, we're all in the flesh. We'd all maybe look at his situation and think, man, look at all that trouble. wonder what he's done to get against God, to get God against him, I guess. But you know, this whole thing started off because we have the benefit of seeing the backdrop, and Job evidently gets that at some point in order to pin this down. Uh, But you we got a backdrop here where we know God's actually bragging on Job and saying, you know, this guy right here won't turn his back on me. Wouldn't you You hope God's saying that about you? Maybe not to that degree, not pointing you out to the devil and saying, you know, but, but at least being able to say, these people here, man, they're on my side. Wouldn't that be a good thing to be passed around heaven about you and me? These people are on our side. We're first in their life. God, that would be good. Now, here's something that I think is interesting. He said, uh, all these guys are taking shots at him uh, and gouges at his, even his children and Job don't get any resentment. Do you know how many people's lives are captivated by resentment in the culture we live in. It's an epidemic. Resentment is lasting indignation or ill will. You've heard me say this before. I know some people, and you know some people maybe, that are still held captive by somebody who's dead and in the grave, but they won't forgive them. And that person in the grave still controls them to some degree. When they celebrated Sister Mary's 40 years, a few years back, and I was there in one of the speakers, several of her children got up and spoke. She's adopted, she's raised 168, I think we were talking about this evening, and she's adopted many of those as her own children over the years. And they said that Sister Mary is the greatest counselor in the world They said, because a lot of her children come out of, most of them came out of horrible situations. And they said she would take us back to those places where we were hurt or injured. And work with us if we had to go back more than twice, three or four, until we forgave the people that hurt us. And she said, as long as you don't forgive those people that have hurt you, they'll always be able to hurt you. I thought, that's better than anything you can learn in Harvard. No wonder they said she's the great. And those children, one of her children was, uh, you got to remember, this is back years ago, one of her children was, she took in the first African-American child into her care. She got death threats. She got all kinds of stuff. You know what? He made a 36 on his ACT. That's as high as you can make went to the Navy, and they called her one day and said, all we can tell you is your son's a hero. She adopted him. She said, your son's a hero. We can't tell you where he's been, what he's done, but we just he's going to be highly decorated. She took the flag, but she brought all these children over the years in, and she's, she knew that if they held on to resentment, it would control their life. And it, it'll, it affects your health, too. So here's you some blanks to fill in. I'll never ask them, because you have got ill will towards somebody. I ain't getting them. I'll never be around them. I want to give you a couple examples of my own personal life. Have you ever got crossways with people? Is there anybody in here that's never been crossways with anybody? <laughs> is there? Is Jesus here? <laughs> Actually, he was crossways with people, but it wasn't his fault. Uh, I, there's two examples in my own life that I got crossways with people. And uh, one of them, I was probably right. <laughs> uh, the other one was probably mutual. Uh, maybe both of us were right or both of us were wrong. But <clears throat> those relationships, one of them, it took about Four to five years to get back to and try and heal that. The other one was just a few months. Um, One of them, I was, well, the church was turned the other way at this time. I was worshiping one Sunday morning. It's the only time I've ever done this. I left worship, went to my office, got my phone, called this guy Ask him to forgive me. Because I remembered that scripture, right? The Bible says if you bring something to the altar and you know your brother's got an offense against you, leave your stuff at the altar and go fix it. And he received me. It was a beautiful thing. The other one went on longer, and the Lord kind of worked that out. And both of those relationships are stronger than they've ever been. Don't ever put God and can't in the same sentence. Unless you're talking about sin or doing wrong. The only thing God can't do is sin. He can fix anything. I am telling you. He can raise the dead. He can open blinded eyes. He can do anything. Do not sell your God short. He can repair things. So uh, just let, let him do what he can do and you'll be amazed. Amen. Job did not hold any resentment toward these guys. He's frustrated. I can't imagine. Losing everything, then your body covered with bulls and maggots. The way the Hebrew reads, it sounds like he had live organisms eating on his flesh. This guy's going through it. I mean, we we would like to be on God's good list and say, yeah, uh, we're one of the people that would always stick with him. But to be pointed out to Satan. He says, verse 8, Bildad continues, he says, For inquire, please, of the former age, and consider the things discovered by their fathers, for we are born yesterday and know nothing, because our days on earth are a shadow. And if you lived any time, you know how fast things go. Will they not teach you and tell you in other words from their heart? Can a papyrus grow up without a marsh? Can the reeds flourish without water while it is yet green and not cut down? It withers before any other plant. So are the paths of all who forget God, and hope of the hypocrite shall perish. And that is a true statement. It just isn't about Job. Whose confidence shall be cut off and those who trust in a spider's web. Uh, he leans on his house, but it does not stand. Now, here's what I'm amazed about with the Holy Spirit. In a setting like we're in tonight, you're, if you're open to the Lord, you're going to hear what you need to hear. It may be something different then the other person hears. And sometimes, sometimes I'll stand at the door and somebody will say, man, I appreciate you saying that. And I'm thinking, I didn't say that. The Holy Spirit said that to you. And He gave you exactly what you needed to hear. And so, you know, as you read through the Bible, or you sit under some teaching and you think, well, that's not necessarily for me at this moment, but just hang on. Hang on. God will speak to you. He'll get you where you're at. He'll give you something that you can put in your lunchbox that you own. He says, uh, uh, Whose confidence shall be cut off, and, and whose trust is in a spider's web? He leans on his house, but it does not stand. He holds it fast, but it does not endure. He grows green in the sun, and his branches spread out in the garden. He, his roots wrap around, the rock, uh, wrap around the rock heap, and look for a place in the stones. If he's destroyed from his place, then he will deny him, saying, I have not seen you. Behold, this is the joy of his way, and out of the earth others will grow. Behold, God will not cast away the blameless, nor will he uphold the evildoers. So there is all these guys, one thing they have in common, even though they're not in tune with Job's situation, one thing they have in common, they all know God is their hope. They know he's in charge. And that's, uh, that's one of the things I've always said. Listen, when I wrestle with God, and I do wrestle with God sometimes, uh, and when I go uh, before the Lord and want to inquire of Him, one thing I always remember, I know who's in charge. And it ain't me. It's Him. And I always remember that so I don't get above my, over my skis, as they say. I don't get out over my skis. I know who's in charge. I don't think God is offended by His children coming to Him and being real with Him. I think where we better not cross the line is when we get in a situation where we indict God as if we come to God with the approach as if to say, you don't we don't think you know what you're doing that's that's when we're crossing the line, so don't get into any of that, but it's okay to wrestle with God, Jacob wrestled with him, a lot of people have wrestled with god you You want understanding, go wrestle with God, He may not give it to you or he may give it to you somewhere else down the road uh but it's okay to go to him as a father and ask him and get seek out understanding. He says, uh, so things kind of turn over, right? Behold, God will not cast away the blame, it's not uphold the evildoers, uh, and that's true. He will yet fill your mouth with laughing and your lips with rejoicing. Those who hate you will be clothed with shame, and the dwelling place of the wicked will come to nothing. Those are good statements, true statements. Some of it maybe applies to Job, but not all of it. These guys have some reasoning that's uh, biased because they just see a guy who's been devastated And they just can't believe if he was any good at all that he would be in that position. It's one thing to suffer a little trouble, but it's another thing to get wiped out. Job got wiped out. So Job steps back up. Then Job answered and said, Truly I know it is so, but how can a man be righteous before God? Good question, right? If one wished to contend with him, he could not answer him one out of a thousand. True. Again, you're seeing the humility here. He says, God is wise and hard and mighty and strength. Who has hardened himself against him and prospered? Good statement. If you run from God's word, you don't have anywhere else to go. You might have a good mama. You might have a good uncle. You might have a good friend. But none of them can do for you and I what God can do. If you run away from God... Or his word, because they're one and the same. You ain't got nowhere else to go. You think the world's going to take care of you? The world don't offer eternal life. The world's going under. If if we could see in the spirit, here's what we'd see. We'd see the caution tape already wrapped around this place. You ever seen that? Where they're getting ready to implode a building. They'll tape it off with caution tape or bury it off. I, th- I that's how I feel the world is God's already put the caution tape around us this thing's getting ready to come to a close if we don't honor him and look to him and his word we don't really have anywhere else to go and Peter said that didn't he you remember when they Jesus gave a hard saying because people were coming in and he said if you're going to follow me you are going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood right he was talking about this intimacy you're either all in or you're not in right And what's interesting about that moment is, is he didn't try to explain himself. He just let them go. And then he looked to the guys who had stayed, which Peter was one of them, and said, you guys leaving too? And Peter stepped up to the plate. This is one time he said the right thing. He said, where are we going to go? You have the words of life. Now, that's when Christianity changes for every one of us. Right there. Now you can be saved, and you've got to mature, but when you mature to that spot, when you can say to God, I really don't have nowhere else to go and mean it, then you're getting somewhere. Because, let's face it, pride is in all of us. And self-strength, doing our own thing, taking care of ourselves, we all have to guard against that. We all have to guard against getting deceived, thinking we're a comp, We're all that, right? But God takes us on a journey, and we have to come to that place to where we do what Peter said. Basically, we ain't got nowhere else to go. Now, figuratively or physically speaking, Peter could have went anywhere, right? But in his heart, that was the right answer. He really knew inside of his spirit, this world's passing away. There's nowhere else to go. And this is why I wanted to emphasize, and I've emphasized this a lot lately. When I, I've talked, I've been studying Samson and handed some, some of this off in little different places here. But when Samson came to the end of his life, he had revival, he came back to God. But he didn't mention his hair. He asked that boy, he said, put me over here by the pillars. And he didn't say to the lad, say, how many locks do I have? Is my hair grown back out? What can you tell me about all that? The Bible said he cried out to the Lord. He, it took him a lot of trouble. And you and I are going to run across, but maybe you're somebody like that here. Or listening to me. It took him a lot of trouble to finally figure out where his real strength was coming from. But he finally got it. He's kind of like the thief on the cross, right? He finally got it. Samson's going to be in heaven. Just read Hebrews chapter 11. He'll be there. He cost himself a lot of trouble, and he went blind before he ever had his eyes gouged out. But when he came to the end, the Bible said he killed more enemies in his death than he had his whole life because he finally came to that place where Peter's talking there. He said he cried out to the Lord. He didn't mention anything about the rest of it, and God wants us all there. Have you come to that place in your life? Jesus even put His flesh into subjection when He said, "Not my will, but Thy will be done." Probably one of my favorite clips in any movie in the history of the world that I, which I'm not a big movie watcher, but is when uh, that passion about Jesus when He gets up from praying. And he says that, and he, that snake's there, and he stomps that snake and walks out of that garden. And I've preached this for years, even before the movie came out. The cross was inevitable after the garden. The devil was in trouble. It's just a matter of walking it out. When Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done, the cross was going to happen. He would already surrendered right there. The cross was just needed to play out at that point. Because he done made his stand right there. That's why I tell people all the time, you need to decide that you're not going to quit yesterday. That should have been decided yesterday. No matter what the devil throws at you. And this is why God has so many wonderful examples. Job being the most extreme. Him and Jesus, of course. And then you got David and all these other guys. These apostles and people who suffered. Uh, uh, Samson, all the... God gave us all kinds of examples so none of us would be left out in relation right we can relate to these guys we see how the enemy works but something they had in common these people that are in the hall of fame of faith they refuse to quit and that's got to be us and sometimes the hardest time will be to to quit to not quit will be at your own failure But God said, a righteous man may fall seven times, but he gets up all seven times. So you just keep getting up and keep walking toward the Lord and make sure you have a made-up mind that you refuse to quit. And that mind comes from a heart that says, I don't have anywhere else to go. I don't have anywhere else to go. And then he goes on, Job, Job is trying to work his way through this without losing his integrity, and he does. He does do that as time goes on. He said, God is wise in heart, mighty, and strength, who's hardened himself and prospered, right? No one. He removes the mountains, and they do not know. He, when he overturns them in his anger, he shakes the earth and his place, and its pillars tremble. He commands the sun, and it does not rise. He seals off the stars. Remember when he made the sun stand still so they could finish the battle. Now notice it, and I I, I wrestle this myself. God, why don't you just come in here and do it? But sometimes he does a little bit and he lets it play out. He didn't have to make the sun stand still. He could have just destroyed the enemy before the sun went down. Sometimes he just makes the sun stand still and let us finish our course. See, that's why you can't put God in a box Because he always gets out of it, right? And he does things. Now, I don't know. I want you to think about this. Jesus shows up on the scene, and this guy's blind. Jesus spits in the dirt, makes mud, puts it on his eyes. Now, what would you have thought that day? What if you'd been standing there? What about the other guy where Jesus took spit off his own tongue and put it on the other guy's tongue? would you have been like, this is weird? He gets out of our box, right? Sometimes he gets out of our box. I can tell some of you think he's weird because it's really quiet in here right now. (laughs) That would be weird. I I don't know how I would have reacted right Because I'm thinking, and this comes from a basis of believing God's word and knowing who he is, but I'm thinking, you didn't have to put mud on his eyes. All you had to do is just say something right? Remember the centurion? he His daughter needed to be healed. He run to Jesus, and Jesus said, hey, I'm on my way, and he said, you don't have to come to my house. All you got to do is say something. He said, hey, that's the kind of faith I'm looking for, right? And how about the woman, her, her daughter, and she's asking for him to help, and he said, he basically kind of Pushes her off a little bit. He said, we don't give the meat off the master's tables to dogs. And she says, yeah, but the dogs eat the crumbs. She didn't get offended. Now, most people would have got offended right there, wouldn't they? They'd have got offended and got on Facebook and run Jesus down. But he, she said, yeah, but the dogs eat the crumbs, right? And all of a sudden, he says, hey, you get it, right? You got it. So... That's the kind of faith we, I, we need to be the hardest people in the world to offend. And we need to be the people who refuse to quit. That ought to stand out about us. There's none of us perfect. None of us know everything. But those two things ought to stand out about us. That we refuse to quit. And God, he, he is so faithful, isn't he? He is so faithful. And we refuse to be offended. We are the hardest people in the world to offend. Job was that way. Job's wrestling here. But he's, he's keeping his integrity. He's keeping himself clean. Uh, and look what all they knew. We act like these people before we have uh, cell phones didn't know anything. But look at this. <laughs> he uh, he alone spreads out to heaven. Treads to the waves of sea. He made the bear, Orion, Pleiades, and the chambers of the south. He's talking high up stuff here, you know. He does great things past finding out. Yes, wonders without number. If he goes by me, I do not see him. If he moves past, I do not perceive him. He can hide himself from us. Thank God he reveals himself to us. If he takes away, who can hinder him? Who can say to him, what are you doing? Right? Right? I think that's where we've got to draw the line. You can ask for understanding and help from God, but be careful about saying, what are you doing? With that kind of attitude, right? God will not withdraw his anger. The allies of the proud lie prostrate prostrate beneath him, how then can I answer him and choose my words, reason with him? For though I were righteous, I could not answer him. I would beg mercy of my judge. And he realizes, right? He, he realizes that his righteousness is nothing compared to God. What Paul say in the New Testament? Our righteousness is as filthy rags. And so he says, uh, who then can answer him, choose my words, though I righteous, could not, I would beg for mercy, if I called and he answered me, I would not believe that he was listening to my voice, for he crushes me with the tempest and multiplies my wounds without cause. He will not allow me to catch my breath, but fills me with bitterness. If it is a matter of strength, indeed he is strong of the of his of it uh, uh, and if of his justice, who will appoint my day in court? Now, there seems to be to me because first that which is natural, and then that which is spiritual. There's not as clear of revelation of Satan in the Old Testament as there is in the New Testament. Because a lot of their warfare is played out in the natural, right? The devil is mentioned some, but they don't have the same level of insight. It doesn't look that we get in the New Testament about the devil and demons, although they're clearly there. uh, But he's mostly... He knows who's in charge. He's thinking about God. He's not speaking much about the enemy, right? He's ch- because he knows God's the one that's in charge. Um, and he says, <clears throat> if, uh, <clears throat> what verse am I in? <laughs> 20, okay. Though I were righteous, my own mouth would condemn me. Though I were blameless, it would prove me perverse. And in the context of God, that's true. Our righteousness is a filthy rag. There's none good, no, not one. Now, let me show you what played out in the Old Testament and the New Testament on this board here. If if I go back to Abram, who we call Abraham, he he was the father of faith. He was living by faith. So, before you get all tangled up in the law, Let me say something to you. Faith was before the law. The law came after Abraham. And Moses brought that law after Abraham. But it's always been faith that God's after. Here at the cross with Christ. It's faith. The law was in between. Why did God give the law in between? Because here... These people were looking for a Messiah. Though they didn't see him in the natural, they believed in him and were awaiting his coming to earth. Now we're doing the same thing except we're looking back. We haven't seen him physically either. There's only a 33 window, a little over 33 years of window of time where some people actually saw him in the flesh. But the majority of history has either looked forward to Jesus or look back to Jesus by faith, right? Now we've got enough of God's word, fulfillment of His word, things He's done in our own lives, in our hearts. We know He's real. That's what our faith is based on: His word, the work of His Son and His Spirit in our life. But it's always been faith God's after. The law was given for two reasons. Number one, to prove a need, our, our need for a Savior. All right, I'll just put S-A-V. And to prove to us our inability to please God on our own. In other words, God said, this law is what I require for you to live with me forever. Nobody could do it except Jesus. He kept every jot and tittle of the law, right? He fulfilled the law, the New Testament says. So he done that. Now, how do I get to heaven? I get to heaven by being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So, I'll use this piece of paper. This is me or you, right? When I accept Jesus Christ, I get... Now, Paul talks about imputed righteousness and imparted righteousness. He uses those two words in Romans. So when I get righteous imputed to me... It's credited in my account. Why? Because I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm now giving Him my life. He's come into my life. I am a follower, a believer. Right? Born again, saved, redeemed, whatever terminology you want to use. When that happens, I get clothed in His righteousness. I didn't do good enough. I didn't please God. I just accepted His Son. Now, that did please God by doing that. But I accepted His Son as my righteousness. Now once I get that imputed righteousness, Paul talks about imparted righteousness. So if I begin my journey on salvation here, this righteousness is clothing me. What God's design is, is now that this imputed righteousness has clothed me, and I'm in right standing with God because of what Jesus did, not what I did. Now this same righteousness is designed to work in the fabric of my life. So that not only am I I clothed in righteousness, but I'm filled with righteousness. That's the difference between imparted and imputed righteousness. So you don't start out sanctified, right? We get sanctified by the washing of the water of the Word. That's what Paul said. So you start out righteous... Because you didn't get that code on your own. You got that from Jesus. Now what the Old Testament saints did. They believed in this. Just like us. They never saw Jesus physically. But they believed he was coming. They believed he was the way to be made right with God. They believed they died believing that. The same thing you and I are going to do. If the rapture don't happen. We're going to die believing that. Right? So we're looking back to the cross. They looked forward to the cross, we're basically doing the same thing, just from different positions. Now, so this righteousness that I get clothed with, is what makes me right with God. Now, why is Jesus able to clothe me with His righteousness? Is because He fulfilled the law. He did everything right. He had no sin. He pleased the Father. Now, God said, I will accept you, and He showed us these substitutes all the way through, right? He started with Abram, right? Remember that? If you've been around me on Passover or Easter time, you know that we talk about this most uh, most every year, that there was a lamb for one, right? Abraham took Isaac up. He was going to sacrifice him. There was a, a lamb called in the thicket over there. God made a substitute, right? He said, now, you don't kill Isaac. I'm going to provide you the sacrifice, right? And remember, Abraham was saying that. He was... Prophesying, he was keeping the faith. He told because Isaac got to looking around and saying, "Hey, uh, where's the sacrifice?" And Abraham didn't just come out and say, "Well, it's going to be you, right?" That was that you put yourself in that situation. Abraham said, "God Himself will provide a lamb." Man, that, when he said that, that rung from that moment all the way through the Book of Revelation. And it's still ringing today because God did provide Himself a lamb. Can you say amen? We ought to give God praise for that. Amen. So then you come to the, the priesthood. No, then you come to the Passover in Egypt. And the Bible said you take a lamb for each household, right? And God's He said if the households are smaller, they can get together in the same house and, and use that same lamb, right? There's more to that than we'll talk about tonight. But then you go over to the Levitical priesthood. And then on the Yom Kippur, you have, and Passover, you have a lamb for the whole nation, right? So you got a lamb for one, then you got a lamb for a family, then you got a lamb for a nation. And then you come over to John when he's getting ready to baptize Jesus, he said, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So now you've got a lamb for the whole world. Thank God. Amen. And everybody that believed from Adam all the way till this thing's over, whether they're looking to the cross or looking back to the cross, you're in. If you have trusted Jesus and He has clothed you in His righteousness, what we struggle with is the battle, Him trying to work that inside of us and not pushing it back out. And He's trying to work that right so that He can not only clothe us and impute righteousness to our account, but He can impart it inside of our lives so that as we walk with Him, we become more like Him, and we are conformed into His image. That's the design of Christianity. Now, some of you have heard me say this before. Uh, John the Baptist, when he wound up in prison, he wasn't really doubting who Jesus was. He was really wrestling with the dual concept of a Messiah. Because if you'll remember, they taught that in Israel, because you had Pharisees and Sadducees, right? Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection, but they believed in the book of Isaiah. They believed in the prophets. So what they did is they developed this dual concept of a Messiah. If you don't believe in a resurrection, but yet Isaiah says the the Messiah has to die, then what do you got to do? Because Isaiah shows us a suffering Messiah, and he also shows us the reigning Messiah. So if you don't believe in a resurrection, you got to have two Messiahs. And that's what they did. And that was being taught in Israel in the time of Jesus and John the Baptist that had been passed around. So the Pharisees, that's why the Pharisees and the Sadducees had a rub. Because the Pharisees believed in a resurrection. You remember when Paul was in the middle of all that? And he said, hey, I'm a Pharisee, I believe in a resurrection. Well, they jumped on his side for a while. Because they said, we like that. They liked hearing that. But what John the Baptist was saying was, he had already He's in prison getting ready to lose his head. He, he had already proclaimed to the whole world that Jesus was the Lamb of God. In other words, he had told the whole world he was the suffering Messiah. But he's a man. He grew up around all that. He was in the, the priesthood clique. John the Baptist was. He heard all that. And so he sent word to Jesus, the Bible says said, are you the one or shall we look for another? Hear that? And Jesus didn't touch him dying. He didn't say, I'm the lamb. Because he knew, John knew he was the lamb. He said, you go tell John that the dead are coming back to life. The blind are seeing again. In other words, the same Messiah that's going to lay his life down is coming out of that grave and going to rule and reign. I am He. And that's what John was wrestling with. He wasn't doubting whether Jesus was the Son of God or not. But you can imagine, you've got to put flesh and blood on these guys. John the Baptist was an awesome fella, but he wasn't Jesus. He was human. The devil was trying to do all kinds of things with him, trying to harass him. If you'll go over to the book of Hebrews, you'll find this same kind of language. Because I believe the Holy Spirit there, I believe he used Paul to write that. And in the book of Hebrews... He says these kind of things. And it, Paul was a master at preaching. Best preacher to ever walked outside of Jesus. And he, he said things like, Moses was good, but there's one greater. Yeah. Moses was flawed. Just like the rest of So I'm saying, John the Baptist, we, when, when we watch these stories or read about these guys, they're just like us. The Bible says Elijah, and we know what a powerful man he was, because he was sold out. That's what makes the difference. People who are sold out. And he, he, but the Bible said he was a man of black like passion like us. When Jezebel started running her mouth, he was scared to death. Went up and hid. Right? And so God, these are common. You don't have great men and women of God. I love Billy Graham, but he's, he's a common man. But he was a common man that surrendered to the will of God in his life, and he wouldn't change in directions every 10 minutes. And you know that we all know that Billy Graham could have set a church up anywhere in this country and filled it up. That's why I respect him so much. He stayed in his calling, and he stayed in those airplanes and been to those Crusades, he abided where God called him and planted him. That speaks volumes. These guys, but they're all Him. You don't have great men and women of God. You have common men and women who have a great God. That's how this works. Amen. So, Job is, is coming. He's, he's talking about his situation. He said, I am blameless, yet I do not know myself. I despise my life in 21 it is all one thing. Therefore I say he destroys the blameless and the wicked. If the scourge slays suddenly, he laughs at the plight of the innocent. The earth is given to the hand of the wicked. He covers the faces of his judges. If it is not he or else could it be. Now, let me read the rest of this and I'll say something before we close. Now my days are swifter than a runner. They, they flee away. They see no good. I cannot believe. And some of you are older than me. That's right, you are. I cannot believe that I'm standing here closer to 60 than I am 50. I'm going to check my birth security. I think it's wrong. (laughs) Right? I mean, it's it's really... And I'm even talking to you folks. After you get out of high school... You ever shoot a rocket on the 4th of July? That's how it feels like. After you... It seems like everything, you can't, you just can't get your driver's license. They're like from here to Texas away, right? And once you graduate high school, it's like being shot out of a cannon, isn't it? And you're thinking, what? Somebody called about a 40-year reunion? <laughs> How'd that happen? But you know, right, it just, it, and Job, that a lot of what we're hearing in here is truth. They don't all apply to Job because these guys are shooting in the dark. But it's a lot of truth in this book of of statements. And Job saying, "My, my days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. They see no good. They pass by like swift ships, like an eagle swooping on its prey. If I say I will forget my complaint, I will put off my sad face and wear a smile. I am afraid of all the sufferings. I know that you will not hold me innocent. I am, if I am condemned, why then do I labor in vain? If I wash myself with snow water and cleanse my hands with soap, yet you will plunge me into the pit, and my own clothes will abhor me. For he is not a man as I am, right? Job understands that I may answer him and that we should go to the court together, nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us. Let him take take his rod away from me, and do not let the dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak and not fear him. But it is not so with me. So that fear of God. Now, he said, "If is there any mediator? Nor is there any mediator. He's on the way. Jesus is our mediator. They don't have a full revelation of the New Testament. Some of these guys, Job being one of them, are better at it than a lot. But they don't have the full understanding of the new testament we are blessed to have both testaments in fact when job wrote this down there were nothing there was nothing written down about god that started with moses he started penning that stuff god gave it to him so you think about that you think i'm going to tell you why Job's probably going to be over all of us you think about your life trying to live it unto God with no understanding really of the backdrop of what's going on here and no Bible to go pick up and get encouraged by. You don't know why God's saw so how Job? That's why. He had a relationship with God. He knew who he was. Even when he was distressed, he still knew who God was. He didn't turn on his guys like there's some of them's kind of turning on him to some degree. He's letting all this play out. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine going through some of the stuff you've went through and not have a Bible? And not necessarily even have a church with people in it? I read a story of a guy you're talking about faithful who preached in Africa for 17 years With one page out of the Bible. You talk about being faithful. And we can't even get out of bed sometimes. Hi, I want to be that man or that person who God can say, you know what? That guy is in no matter what. Let that be us, amen? And you've heard me say this before, that if God has to search, scour the area and say... Let's get some folks to do this. And if the angels come back and say, we can't find anybody to get in the hedge and make up the the hedge and get in the gap there. We We want this to be said about Basilea, living water, the well, or whatever. That God can say, hey, take that to those people down there at Living Water. They'll do whatever we ask them to do. That's what we want to be known as, right? As a family, as a church, take it off down there. Hey, they're not too, they're not too prideful. If, if we need somebody to go wash dishes or clean toilets, go down there to Faith Temple. Go down there to Live in Water or the well. They'll be faithful to do what we ask them to do. Go to Basilea. And I know that's how Stephen lives. He lives that way. They make all kinds of sacrifices to make sure God's word and his work is sustained. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for your word. I'm thankful that Job's in this Bible, Lord, because I have drawn so much strength from this book over my lifetime. When you see how things go and and the man's days are full of trouble and we face adversity, we have an adversary. His name is Satan, and he does not want us to be faithful and to stay the course. So God, we praise you that we do have your word. We do have examples like this that strengthen us and encourage us. And we thank you, Lord, that you would never leave us nor forsake us. You'll be with us to the end. And everybody said...